Why are you so angry? Because I got about a smidge of water and you over here poaching it. Goddamn, son. <laughs> I don't have any water left, you know? Use a rag like I did to wipe out your damn cup. I don't have a rag. Well, Scout Motto's be prepared. <laughs> I was prepared. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering what you were saying. What you, like, well, I was he, like, he grabs a cup and he's like, well, there's not much water in here. Can I borrow it? <laughs> no, I, I, it's not borrow. I'm stealing <laughs> yeah. at that point. But I just took just enough to get it. Yeah. <laughs> My name is John Edwards, and with me, as always, is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Say hello to the folks, Zeke. Hello, hello, hello. It is a great day. We have former NFL Hall of Famer Tony Gonzalez (laughs) sitting at the table with us. I'm kidding. His name is Tony Gonzalez, just like my name is John Edwards, and that is synonymous with a famous politician. Tony is synonymous with one of the best tight ends to ever play the game, but he also is at one of the best distilleries that we have tasted in recent memory, and that is Treaty Oak out of Texas. I think this has to be one of our favorite things coming from the Lone Star State right now. Tony, say hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? <clears throat> I'm great. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I, pre- I really appreciate it. I'm just bummed there's not many Zeke Bakers in the world. No, there's only one Ezekiel Baker. I know. <laughs> the, the funny thing, so Tony, is people in the boards and, and stuff like that, they'll say things like, hey, are you that Zeke from Dad's Drinking Bourbon? And it's like, do you know another Zeke Baker? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, how many have you run across yeah. in your lifetime? Because I'm still shooting pretty low here. <laughs> we alluded to it in the open, but there is so much stuff on the table. We have three picks here. Turok did down at Elixir Spirits in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Then we have all the stuff that you brought on top of it. There's some... Uh, heirloom corn stuff there's uh some experimental stuff that you guys are working on as well as just all of your your regular stuff from your red-handed whiskey to the gin to the ride i mean how much stuff is actually here and how many products do y'all actually have so uh the the six uh that are labeled right there those are the our flagship products so we have on the market right now our flagship products, we have three whiskeys and we have three gins for Treaty Oak Distilling. And then uh, we also brought some some uh, some of our kind of experimental stuff. We have some heirloom grain series. Uh, we have some some cast strength antique gins um, that are that are really amazing stuff. So, and you also have a dub that is lurking. Check it yeah. over your shoulder. You want to try anything? It's all good. <laughs> Anytime you have this much alcohol, there's always going to be someone lingering. Yes. Drinking it. Your flagship here, red-handed. Now, that's something, anything that's there that's red-handed, you guys didn't distill that. Correct. That's the name of our sourced whiskeys. So anything that says red-handed in front of it, on the table in front of you, you have the red-handed bourbon um, sourced from O.Z. Tyler in uh, Kentucky and Davis Valley in Virginia. 
And then you have the red-handed rye, which is sourced from Shinley Distillery. Gin, is that stuff that you guys all do down there in Texas? Yeah, so all the all the gins we do, um, with no sourcing involved with that. We have our uh, Waterloo Number no. 9 gin, which is going to be our clear gin, London dry style. We, we use a lot of uh, all almost all Texas uh, botanicals in that gin. And then we uh, basically, we take that exact same product, we age it for uh, two years, and we get our antique gin. That's going to be our barrel-aged gin. We age that in a fresh, first-use American oak cask. And then our old Yopon gin is uh, kind of a one-off gin that we kind of developed and came up with. So using also really local Texas ingredients. I think we want to learn more, but we want to drink something while we're doing it. Zeke, what do you think we should sip on while we first learn about Treaty Oak? You want to start with the uh, the regular red-handed? Red-handed bourbon's a good way to start out, we'll, man. We'll go, at least for me, right to left. But This right here, it is 95 proof, 47.5% ABV. Now, you said this is OZ Tyler. Is it a blend of both of them together? Yeah, so it's, it's going to be uh, 80% of the OZ Tyler um, out of uh, Kentucky, and that's about a two-year-old OZ Tyler. 20% of the Davis Valley which is going to be a little bit older juice out of Virginia. It's about a four-year-old. So one question I would have on that is, are those different mash bills? Yep. So you're mixing together, blending two different mash bills to come up with what you got, right? Correct. Yep. Um, I have those mash bills for you. The Davis Valley is going to be uh, 66% corn, 20% barley, 14% rye. OZ Tyler is going to be a 70% corn, 21% rye, 9% barley. So that Dave, that Davis Valley is actually a really interesting juice, man. It is. It threw me off. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I saw your face when I when I read <laughs> off the mash bill. It's kind of a it's a unique product for sure. And um, I actually have on the other counter, I have like one of those honey pot barrels from the Davis Valley that I brought along too, man. We're gonna have to try that. That might come after. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, we can yeah. try that when John has a bathroom break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much on the table. We might have more than one bathroom break. <laughs> might have a nap break too. Exactly, yeah. Zeke. What do you think about this red-handed as you're you're going through? I like it. Uh, I will say that for both products being young, essentially. I don't get corn on the nose, really, palate either. And I was trying to do the math in my head before you asked me a question and figure out where that final barley concentration percent comes down to, because it's definitely there, and it's more noticeable than most, I guess, common products, but it's not overwhelming, but it does add an interesting, creamy, smooth balance to the thing Mm -hmm. moving through there. But then the rye kicks in pretty well because one of those two had a high rye mash, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah. Uh, the OZ Tyler is definitely is twenty one percent rye, so um, I would say this is more of a rye forward bourbon. Um, definitely drinks more like a rye forward bourbon, in my opinion. The one thing that I can't get over, and, and we've been sipping on stuff, and anybody who knows us knows that we like to sip on stuff and get to know people before we actually start recording. So we have been drinking a lot of this stuff before, and we will continue to drink this as we're talking to you the one thing i can't get over with a lot of your stuff is just the smoothness to it It, and i know people hate that word our (laughs) friend ryan peasley is listening and just kicking the table right now but i mean for stuff that is coming out that's two years or it's not harsh there's no you know super citrus youth component to it just like there isn't a, a harsh, astringent youth aspect to it as well. 
it all goes down pretty easy. I, I agree with Zeke what he was saying, how there's a little rye kick at the end. But for the most part, I get just a lot of nice vanilla bourbon notes that you would expect. Coats your mouth nicely. I definitely get a little bit more of the barley, too, mm-hmm. as you mentioned yeah. that. And I think that helps to kind of smooth things over a lot. Um, but it's really, and I, I hate to put it that way because it's just good. Right? Like right. It's yeah. not it's not one of those things where you go, Oh man, it's not bad for it to it's just good. Yeah, it's it's good good bourbon, man. We've we've worked hard. Um our owner and founder Daniel Barnes, he he works a lot, a lot of relationships being able to source really good whiskey and we're you know super proud of that. And the nice thing about that red handed uh, the, the bourbon that you guys are drinking right now too is that's our most affordable option. So as far as when you see it on the on the shelf, I mean What does that come in at? Thirty nine. I was reading fingers. Thirty nine here in uh, in Tennessee. Shout out to PJ. Thank yeah. you for the assist. Thanks, PJ. That's my driver, PJ. And so, even though you know you guys are distilling, and not to jump around too much, but are distilling and will be distilling going forward. I assume the the red handed line, and with these being younger distilleries as well, you you plan to continue sourcing it and keeping that blend in the market. Yes. Yeah. the The idea is to keep the red handed around. Um, it may change, obviously, as distilleries, you know, come and go as their, you know, products grow and develop, they get more expensive, you know, obviously, we need to, you know, be flexible with our red handed, especially with that, that particular bourbon, because that, that was our original whiskey that we put on the market was our red handed bourbon um, before, while our stuff was aging. So mm-hmm. people know us for it. And we're, we're looking to keep it around. So we have some uh, products coming down the pipe that we've been tasting uh, different things that we've been you know, uh, from different distilleries that we're looking to source the next iteration of Red Handed from. And the idea is to keep it pretty much the same, try and keep the same price point, try and keep the same flavor profiles, um, especially, you know, guys got in their bar program on the menu or something. We don't want to all of a sudden one day have a, a bottle of bourbon that tastes completely <laughs> different. So um, so the idea is to kind of get something else out there that matches the flavor profile. Um, and we're probably going to have that be the Red Handed bourbon be a straight Kentucky product going forward. Not not anytime soon, but that's that's kind of the idea is have a really really good Kentucky juice and finish aging it in Texas. That's not bad what yeah. you're working with though. Yeah, I mean to me it's almost like a a, a spicy nutter butter. It's yeah, kind of, it's kind of what I rolled out with. <laughs> I, I could see that. Yeah. I could definitely the, see that. The, 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 Do you have any nutter butters? Because I could go for another. <laughs> I wish, but we've been sitting around here for a couple hours. I could really <laughs> yeah. use some food. Zeke just bought a bag of pretzels to yeah. feed eight people. Yep. I told you there's a pizza in the freezer. The renters left. Oh well, why didn't we cook it up? I told you. Somebody get to work. Yeah, I'll get my driver on it. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, PJ. No, no, no. You don't <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just don't kidding. Worry. Just kidding. <laughs> but no, I mean, especially if this being a blend of young product, even once mingled and then, you know, assumed to rebarrel and age for a little bit of time, I think it would progress well. So if, if anything does change, I would just say, uh, you know, the consumers and all of us guys, we, we, we love transparency as much as possible. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's our, big, <laughs> our, our big ethos, man. I mean, you can tell just by the name of it, calling it red-handed. We literally are, you know, being upfront and 
Um, in fact, on the side of our bottle, just tells you exactly where it was distilled. We kind of left the distillery name off of it, and that's we don't hide that it's in all of our literature, mm-hmm. but um, just so we can be a little bit flexible. But it's yeah, it's a great product, and we're really we're really proud of it. We just you know be sourcing whiskey. Whiskey comes and goes, ages it ages, it gets more expensive, so we got to be flexible. But we're always we're always going to be transparent with everything that we do. So before we move on to something else, I do just want to take a step back here right because there's a lot of different ways that people can start off and they can source whiskey they can make clear liquid you guys did a little bit of both but as you were saying daniel founded treaty oak but tell a little bit of the origin of of how treaty oak came to be what you guys did in the early on we just wanted something to drink while we were here in the story and we kind of went on a tangent but Tell us a little bit about the story of Treaty Oak, how, how everything came to be, and and, uh, and your role in it. Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess I'll, I'll start with my role currently. I'm the Treaty Oak brand manager for the whiskey portfolio. I love our gins, but uh, we found a guy that can be the brand manager a little bit better than me for the gins, and uh, his name's Dan Udell. He's a badass, but uh, I'm sorry. Can I cuss on this? Yeah. We, yeah it's like awesome. a... You know, <laughs> Just like country music. You yeah, can't I was, use I was holding it in like a turd, man. I was in the army for 11 years, so when I hold it in, it kind of, you know. Uh, so anyways, yeah, going back, I'm the whiskey brand manager for Treaty Oak. And then I also run our um, our national sales team for Treaty Oak. So uh, we're in seven states currently. We're, we're launching here in the next two months in uh, California. It's our next huge market. So super proud on that. But going back to the founding of uh, Treaty Oak, it was founded in 2006. Um by Daniel Barnes. Uh, he's the owner and founder of Treaty Oak. We were the fourth operating distillery in Texas. So there was a few that beat us to the punch as soon as they allowed distilleries to be legal again in Texas. And uh, we were the fourth one. So we were all pretty close in, in range, but uh, there's a big vodka guy out there that he was he was <laughs> early on. I'm sure you know him. Well, I mean, his ties back go deep. Yeah. <laughs> his ties to the Saints yeah. are pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we started off originally with rum. Rum was where we started. So we made an all-Texas rum. We used molasses from the last sugarcane refinery in Texas. Um, and we, we did everything on site and started off made a Treaty Oak rum. And a lot of people know us for that. We don't currently have a rum on the market. We may see that come back. We may not. We have a lot of it put back in barrels. We still have some pretty old rum. Some of the oldest rum in, in America we have on our on our properties. Huh. Yeah. American realm. We would enjoy some at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, if you ever sure. want to come yeah. back, yeah. I mean, we don't want to big come back and do we can do a, a rum, yeah. So, so long as a sure. crude oil wasn't included. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, we started off doing rum and we were pretty successful doing that and uh cut our teeth doing that, learned the trade doing that. I didn't join I'm I'm holding Ben with the company for about four years, so I wasn't along in those early days, but uh a lot of learning curves, I'm sure. Um, I've seen some of the pictures of the old equipment they used to use, and it was, yeah, it was pretty rough. <laughs> so did you have a start in the spirits industry before you went to Treaty Oak? Or? In the spirits industry, my, my background is bartending. I bartended in uh, Waikiki, it's where I learned to bartend when I lived in Hawaii. And uh, <clears throat> came to Texas, moved to Texas, and started bartending at Treaty Oak and just found, found my place in my home there. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So Treaty Oak had started off with the rum, 
Now, did they go to the gin or whiskey next? Or? So, yeah, the idea with Daniel when he founded the company was to always have a really good uh, Texas whiskey. After the rum came the gins. We did a vodka for a little while. It was called Starlight Vodka. It was great vodka. I, you know, as far as vodkas go, it was, it was pretty clean and really smooth. <laughs> just, a, just a tough, market, <laughs> yeah. tough yeah. market in Texas, I'm sure. Tough market in Texas, especially uh, in Austin. Uh, there's a couple of really big ones in Austin, if you guys don't know them. Um, so tough market and really hard to be competitive in pricing with vodka. So we did it as long as we needed to. Um, paid the bills, kept the lights on, and more importantly, kept us making whiskey. You know, the rum, the whis- uh, the, the vodka. We did a sweet tea vodka for a while. And all of them, what they all did was keep the lights on and, and let us uh, go out there and start making some whiskey. So... That's what we did, a lot of experimentation. <clears throat> and early on, since uh, nobody made whiskey in Texas, you know, since Prohibition uh, until 2006 when people started getting distilling licenses, nobody really knew how to make good Texas whiskey. So <laughs> um, it was it was a learning curve to be sure. We made a lot of whiskey that I, I don't really think that there's any such thing as bad whiskey, but it was whiskey that maybe we didn't want to sell. <laughs> so we had a lot of uh, a lot of stuff put back, aging, and obviously we we didn't rush anything. Everything we do is full size barrels. We put them out, and uh, we don't try and speed anything up. So uh, it was a lot of time. Just weaving in some of the juice a little bit as we're talking. That rye is that rye uh, sourced. Or yeah, is that stuff you you. Yeah, make? the red-handed rye is going to be sourced. Red, red-handed, yeah. they caught you red-handed. Oh so, no, I'm sorry. The what I'm seeing right now when I look at the bottle, I should have picked it up because I just see Dripping Springs USA. But if I turn around, yes, yeah, it's yeah, red-handed it's a rye bottle. I will say there is something a little bit funky to that rye. For me, it's probably not my favorite out of what's on this table. But then the next one I had. And that's the one I kind of want to focus on because the, the Ghost Hill Texas Bourbon Whiskey that you guys are putting out, let's talk about this a little bit. This is damn good. And this thing has a mash bill. I'd rather have you just say it, but it's 57% Texas corn, 32% Texas wheat, and 11% American barley. What does that mean You know, when you're saying Texas corn? How close are you guys with the grain companies and, and the the wheat company and how are you actually getting that stuff? I think you were telling us a little bit before we started that you guys kind of have a unique situation going on with, with some of your grain producers. Yeah. So we have a really close uh, relationship with a guy named James Brown, but believe it or not. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a really ah! <laughs> great, <laughs> great name. Yeah. Tonight. So um, he, he hates it. We, we gave him the nickname Godfather of Grain, but he actually hates that. So if he really? listens to this, he's probably going to get mad at me that I said that. But um, So, James, don't listen to this if you're listening to this. But, uh, yeah, he owns uh, Barton Springs Mill in Austin, Texas. And uh, he's really big. He was actually uh, nominated for a James Beard Award um, for his work with Heirloom Grains. Um, so, you know, super smart guy, knows his shit. We're like, well, why not like let him do that <laughs> sciencey stuff and go find really good uh, products for us to use in in our uh, in distilling our Ghost Hill Bourbon. So he works um, within the state for the uh, Ghost Hill Bourbon for the for the uh, barley. Obviously, he goes out and he goes outside of the state of Texas. But with the uh, corn and the wheat, he 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 brings those in from Texas, um, pretty much up by the, like the Texas Panhandle. 
and he works with all different farmers. So he works with farmers, works with like heirloom grain series, um, open pollinated wheat. So that's uh, it's a way of making or growing wheat where basically you can reuse the seeds the following year and kind of keep that grain going. So you find a, uh, a series that's good and you kind of open pollinate it and you get actual usable seeds. Whereas if you're using like that kind of GMO stuff and I know I'm, I'm might be talking out of my ass here. I'm no scientist, <laughs> but um, from what I understand, you use those the, like those GMO products. They're only good. You plant them once they grow, you can harvest them. You got to get new seeds. It's okay. We're dumb and we're listening to you. So we're, we're just going to think that you're smart because you're the authority. So don't worry. But, um, yeah, so he, he, you know, he uses open pollinated wheat, heirloom grain corns. Um, yeah. And then he, uh, he brings all that stuff. And the, the interesting relationship we have with him is actually he's moving his entire granary, his pro his, his, uh, business in Austin onto our property. We actually, we have a 28 acre ranch in Texas, and uh, right outside of Austin, we're about uh, we're in Dripping Springs, Texas, so it's about 20 miles outside of Austin. And he's moving his entire operation out onto our property. So we're actually going to have a grain mill right on our property, right where on our distillery. And we'll also, he's also building us a malting floor, so we'll be able to malt all of our single oh, malts. Awesome. Yeah, right on property. So, so how close are you to the Guadalupe and the Comal? They're both about 20 miles, I would say. Yeah, hmm, that's fair enough. Yeah. But I love this mash bill. I mean, just the the sense that it is you know fifty seven percent corn, thirty two percent wheat with eleven percent barley. You know, it's unique all around in the sense that it's a weeder, but it's a high barley weeder. Mm-hmm. So it's got some real unique flavor to it. This is the one. Full disclosure, and I'll let Zeke fill in some of the blanks. But Zeke went down, and and he was hanging out with Tarak down at Elixir Spirits, as he's known to do. And he came back, and he said, you know, John, I I helped pick a a Treaty Oak today. And I was like, where's that thing from? He's like, Texas. I said, it's from Texas. And he goes, it's damn good. And I had a sample of it, and that's the stuff I had was the, the Ghost Hill. And... When we had that Bill and Zeke's excellent adventure, I was like, man, that is really good. So Zeke was a part of that pick. My hat's off to you, Zeke, but... That's actually what I'm drinking right now. Uh, I've simply told anyone that asked me what I thought about it, find me something better that says it came out of Texas, and we can talk. I'll be more than honest and modest and say it's not the best thing in the world, but for a younger product and a blend, and again... Based on, I guess, kind of the standard a lot of folks have when they look at Texas juice, they say, no shit, that's out of Texas? Yeah. I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. But I think it's unique in the sense of, and this isn't because Tony's just sitting here, I wouldn't say it, but Zeke, you and I both know, this is something that's different. It's not even the fact that it's the best thing out of Texas. It's, I don't know what else I have in my cabinet that tastes like this. And, and when you want a change up and you want something that's not going to be the same thing all the time. I mean, there's only so much of certain distilleries I could drink. This is something that goes down really easy and it's not breaking the bank either. No, not at all. And obviously it will be very interesting to see, you know, as time lends it more age, kind of knocks off some of the nuances here and there. My really brief notes on the the stock issue ghost hill not the the blend we did since mm-hmm. that's what most people would find in the store at first the nose seemed to have a little bit of that just kind of sawdustiness of youth to it that you can get i think that's really attributed to the corn probably but 
you can just tell it's a younger product, especially if you've ever been you know, around a sawmill or things like that. But then when the palate hit, it was significantly sweeter than I expected. It just kind of, whoa, turned my head a little bit. Dig a little bit of heat presence and alcohol in there uh, towards the back end. And then right at the very end, it kind of almost did a, a 360 back to where the nose was of kind of chalky sawdusty. But, you know, it's a younger product, so I'm not going to be overly harsh on it for that. But the fact that it had that just super sweetness right when it first hit the tongue, assuming that stays where it is and age only lends it a better rounded out profile towards that front and back, I mean, should be some really quality juice coming out, you know, before too long. The thing for me, Zeke, is that the finish was all like just a sweet malt. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I, I would differ with you with my notes that I just got this sweet malty finish. And I think that's my favorite part of this one is the finish. I just love that that sweet malt that lingers it, it really does linger nicely i think it punches above its weight class with the age and how it drinks it doesn't drink and there are youthful notes to it in in certain points but i definitely think it punches above what's it a two-year or yeah it's right at a two-year yeah i i think it drinks a lot older than a two-year yeah mm, nice noticeable flavors you know, it, you know, it's not cash strength by any means either. So, it, it's nice to have something that still gives you that much flavor. You know, sub one hundred proof. So, what is the plan for you guys when it comes to this bourbon, and and when it comes to are you going to bring the rye in house at, at any point or? Essentially, we're we're exploring different options with the uh, the rye, but eventually we'll we will have a ghost of rye sitting right alongside of it, but um. It's it's unique that you mentioned the sweetness, and I can talk a little bit about that. Um, I was mentioning James Brown. Uh, <laughs> get on up. He uh, he actually what the corn that we get from him is unique, so I can touch a little bit on that. It's a yellow number one corn, which is a food grade corn, which is not really used in distilling. Um, most most distilleries use number two corn, um, and the number one's food grade. It's all whole grain corn. What we're what we found is uh, kind of in that experimentation process that I was talking about earlier, in uh, learning that um, we couldn't just take a mash bill from and the same products from a Kentucky or a Tennessee product and do it in Texas and it come out the same way and with the same results. So we um, found that using that number one corn was a way to get a sweeter um, <clears throat> white dog, mm-hmm. and then it goes into the. A barrel a lot sweeter and that's one of the way we can counteract some of the harshness of aging in texas aging in texas as you know it's it's hot you get a lot of interaction in and out of that barrel um and you almost can come up with uh we kind of use the phrase burning it it's not really you're not really overheating it or anything but it kind of gets like the real strong woodiness flavors to it um um oh, yeah it's hot as hell <laughs> yeah it's hot as hell yeah <laughs> yep so yeah, that was one thing we did to kind of counteract that was a, was a w- much sweeter white dog. So a lot of those sugars kind of carry over into the into. into no, the, I mean it totally makes sense. Yeah. The, the same way uh, you know John ended up going to Kentucky was he took his SATs with a number one pencil instead of a number two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he went to Zeke went to Georgia. Don't let him fool you. You know he's he's not uh he's not getting that stellar education. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly though, I took every test all through pharmacy school with the exact same pencil. 
Same lead pencil. <laughs> well, that's because most of the teachers did the work for you. No, I really didn't use the same one. <laughs> By the way, in just kind of going through James Brown's nicknames in my head, I really mm. think you should call him Mr. Dynamite. Mr. Dynamite? <laughs> I think that's what you should call your James Brown, Mr. Dynamite, because <laughs> he just keeps coming up with the hits. Yeah. <laughs> just like he keeps coming up with all these different grains. So, Mr. Dynamite, maybe he likes that better than the godfather of grain. Yeah, maybe. Well, I'll have to ask him that when I next time I see him. Well, and I, I, I do want to make sure we don't skip over, while we're also on the subject of rye, the, the red-handed 10-year rye from Shinley. I, I don't know if John tasted the wrong thing, but I thought that thing was pretty damn stellar, son. It's a little funky to me. There's there's just something that... What kind of fun did you get? I, I mean, I, I don't like using, you know, the checks all the boxes because it's just ambiguous and I think kind of a little bit of a scapegoat. But I literally, when I tasted it, thought everything I would look for in a rye, it offered in some way in my, my really brief notes as we were you know moving through this table full of uh, amazing stuff here was it was somewhere between a thin mint and an Andes and a Yoohoo. And they all got together. I did not get that, uh, but it's okay. I mean, with the world, uh, you know, currently all jumping all over the MGP 10 to 14 year aged rye train. I, I would gladly put that up against it. And I, I think you'd see some good results. I am more of this go-so bourbon guy. You can have that rye, and, and I'll have that <laughs> bourbon, and we'll be fine. I mean, the good thing is, with a table like this, and, and when you're talking about bourbon or whiskey, that's the type of thing that is so great about this, uh, I, I want to call it a sport, but it's not a sport, it's a hobby. It's so great about this hobby that, you know, it's going to be different strokes for different folks, and 99% of the time, Zeke and I do not have the same palate. <laughs> And what we gravitate towards. Now, when we do, the one thing I will tell you, Tony, is when we do find something that we agree upon, we know it's really special. Yeah. The nice thing about this curated, like, kind of three whiskeys that are in front of you, our flagship whiskeys that are in the market right now, is that I do believe that there is kind of something for everybody in that mix. You know, you have your your kind of uh, rye, be it, be it a lighter mash bill rye i mean it's only a you know it's a 53 percent rye it's not overtly in your face rye it's kind of an entry level rye in my opinion i mean it's 10 year old it's kind of again to use that trigger word for smooth <laughs> but you know what i mean it's you know it's 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 a rye that doesn't you know it doesn't kick you in the teeth we got our red-handed bourbon that's a that's a great bourbon in my opinion and our ghost hill bourbon with that being weeded is Tastes completely different than a red-handed bourbon. So. Zeke likes the uh, the smooth rye because it's something that's going to, like, spoon him and tell him everything's <laughs> going to be okay. Hey, I'm telling you, for a 100-proof 10-year rye product, that thing, I, honestly, I, I didn't see anything off-putting about it. It's kind of one of those where, you know, certain people just tell you they don't like rye. Yeah, which for sure. I feel like that side of the coin can be more specific, too, than, well, I don't like bourbon because mashes are all over the place but right yeah your mash can vary but your profile is still a lot more similar i think that'd be one that i would challenge somebody if oh, i'm not really a rye guy okay let me, right. let me pour you something and not tell you what it is yep and and see what kind of results you give me so exactly. let me ask you put mm -hmm. you on the spot i know i know you're probably going to give me the industry answer but what's your favorite mine's uh, a ghost hill bourbon hands down see i like this guy <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I knew that when he came in with a glorious beard and no hair on the top of his head, <laughs> that him and I were going to get along, Zeke. I'm he glad did, you went ahead and went that route, because I was about to. Well, you know what? <laughs> he doesn't have a mustache that screams, I have a van. Yeah. He just has a, a great look that screams, like, I did something great for this country. <laughs> that That's what he looks like. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm just hearing like I'm proud to be yeah. an American. Where at least oh, like I know I'm free. Yeah, like a flag flying behind me. If you if you come to a Predators game, they will play that song once a game. So so come on back up. All we'll right. take you to a hockey game and, and we'll sing that song together. <laughs> Sounds good, man. So, so are you? We're going to be brave and uh, dive into some other stuff here, John Boy. Absolutely. But what I want to make sure before we get there. What is the plan with the ghost hill? Are you going to keep that two years as you're going? Or are you going to have some older ones? Or are you going to play around? Because I understand a little bit that you have to feed the beast and you have to kind of keep churning it out and, and the whole production, supply and demand kind of deal. But what is kind of, if you're thinking about what's the five-year, ten-year plan for the ghost hill bourbon, where do you see that going? Right. We kind of see it going in the way, um, and, and just to give you a little backstory here, we we completely revamped and renovated our distillery back in January. So we gutted all the old equipment out. We brought in a new 35-foot continuous column still. Um, we're running, you know, a huge production. We Basically, before we were producing about two barrels a day, and now we're producing 10 to 12 barrels a day. So we're putting a lot of juice back. And uh, so the idea with the Ghost Hill to not dive too in-depth to it is is basically to have it at, uh, most likely a four-year-old bottled in bond. So that's that's the goal. That's the angle, man. And if we get there, when we get there, I mean, uh, yeah. Has be there been a Texas bottled in bond yet? Uh, and you're putting me on the spot with that. Um, I don't, I'd be willing to say no. And, and I'm just think, yeah. I'm thinking no. I am I, hypothesizing yeah, no. I'm sure that Wade yeah, is not listening to this podcast, but <laughs> if he were... I'm sure that, that he would correct us, and I'll probably reach out to him and ask him anyway. But I don't think there's a Texas bottled in bond. That would be really cool. Yeah. So that's that's the idea, man. That's that's what uh, Daniel's been throwing around, that that's the end goal. And um, I totally agree that I would love to see that. You know, this juice is, is getting better and better. And we're actually finding that uh, some of the older stuff, like like four in between four and five years, that's kind of the sweet spot, man. We go much longer than that. And... You just you're just getting too much of that interaction in Texas. Too no, much. I mean I remember when we did the blend on that one. Uh, the, there was anywhere from one year to I think maybe four four and a half, and there was one that was a three year barrel that we, we used in the blend, and, and both blends that's the base for it. We laughed as we were blending, thinking I'm really not sure you can just flat out beat this three year hundred proof product on its own. Like, mm-hmm. just put a label on all these, and we'll say we blended it. <laughs> Smartest man in the room right here. <laughs> Yeah. Did, did you take any of that home though? That's what I. No, want. no. It was it was going around in the market, and other people needed to blend. So I, I wasn't quite that fortunate. Oh, I did want to circle back too. So with all the new equipment, and everything else, as far as uh, everyone running, they're still in making the the white dog and juice. Seemingly, is all that still the same team and everything's intact? Yeah, man. We've had uh, our our distillery crew, man. They've they've all been there. I mean. Even the youngest guys that are at the distillery have been there probably two years with the oldest, the, the, the core group of guys that work in the distillery with 
they've all been there from the beginning, man. No, that's so, nice. Yeah. Much better not to uh, have any unexpected curveballs coming. Yeah, you know? man. We yeah, we we got a solid crew of of guys and girls actually that work out there. Shout out to you, Melody. It's a great group of people, man. It's just it's we're 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 a big family. We're a growing family. Um, I've seen it grow in the last you know four years from being like, man, uh, maybe. 20 employees <laughs> if max maybe I, I might even be high on that number but to, i think we're well working our way towards like 60 right now so nice i have a new number two favorite sitting at this table uh, is it me well yes yes yeah. do, do you want to move to nashville and host a podcast <laughs> with me zeke you're out <laughs> whatever the waterloo number nine gin I mean, I still think that Ghost Hill Bourbon is my favorite, but that Waterloo Number no. Nine Gin, and I haven't even got to the Barrel Age Gin, and I can't wait to try that one. But this, you said it's all Texas botanicals, but that, it's crazy. The nose on it is great. I get zero armadillos. No, yeah, there's zero armadillos, but the the floor, it's just there's so. There's no floral. armadillos harmed in the making of our gin. Just to be clear. <laughs> Not even the Texas State fighting armadillo. <laughs> no, no, we leave those alone too. The great Scott Bakula movie, uh, Necessary Roughness. Anybody that uh, is wondering what's going on, but that was a great movie. What's the one that he's the most famous for? Why am I not thinking of it? I didn't think anybody from Unnecessary Roughness went on to any other fame. Kathy Ireland was the kicker. Do you not know who Kathy Ireland is? I mean, I just, sorry, I don't. At that point in my life, I was watching a football movie for a football, like not in the. Sin, Sinbad was the teacher who, uh, he was the professor who ended up being a great lineman. This is crazy that this is actually the second time today that I'm discussing this movie. Wait, somebody yeah. else? Yeah. PJ brought yeah. up unnecessary yeah. roughness? It's funny. That's so oh, funny. man. That, that, that does sound like PJ would bring up. But this gin, I, I really like it. I, I can't wait to try that barrel age gin. I know Zeke just brought it over, but. I really, really like, it's just super floral and light. And, you know, for, for Zeke and I that do like to dabble into gins and, and tequilas and rum, and we just kind of say you need a palate cleanser from bourbon. Yeah. This is something that I could see going very, very well in a cocktail, but it's something I don't mind just pouring in my Glen Karen and just enjoying. Is this it. your first time trying it right now? Um, your gin, yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. great. Um, yeah, so that, that number Waterloo number nine gin. Waterloo, in case uh, for all your listeners out there, if you don't know, it was the original name of Austin before it was Austin. So before Stephen F. Austin was in the area and became whatever he became, governor. Well, PJ told me Daniel just really liked ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> PJ's wrong again. <laughs> Sorry, PJ, you're, you're the pincushion right now, man, because you don't have a mic. I should have had one. I should have said no. <laughs> I know. You should have told me. You should have told me. I would have fixed it for you. Bridesmaid never bride. Catherine Heigl is looking for you in 27 dresses. <laughs> but anyways, tell us more about this gin. Yeah, man. So it's, it's, it's definitely a lavender forward gin. It is a London dry style. Um, that is it. It's that floralness. The second you mention it, it it's all yeah. of that lavender. It's, especially, I mean, you drinking it out of a Glencairn, you're getting that right, like right up in your nose. So um, you're definitely going to get that lavender up front in your nose. Um, for me, when you're when you're tasting through it, you're going to kind of get like some of that. We have uh, ginger in it as well, so you're going to kind of get some of that middle ginger heat. 
in the middle of your tasting and then kind of finishes with those citrus zests. We got grapefruit, orange, and lemon zest. And one of the one of the unique things that we put in this gin is actually Texas pecan. Really? Yeah, Texas pecan from uh, Menard, Texas, home of the Mina great Richard. man Daniel Barnes. Yeah. So we uh, we source our pecan from from actually the hometown of of Daniel Barnes, so our owner and founder. But it's got uh, lavender, obviously juniper. It's got some coriander in there as well. Star anise. Is there a such thing as a Texas pecan? Yeah. Pecan? Pecan? Well, you know, there's a difference. Yeah. Sorry. A little Georgia humor with you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'd, I'd throw it in there. There are, there are people that will chastise me if I don't bring these things up. Yeah. I'm just going to be, full disclosure, I'm, I'm uh, from the north, so I'm from right outside of Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. From a town called Zion, Illinois. Yeah, it's right on the border of Illinois, Wisconsin. Oh, so you're you're way up. You don't have that accent though. I haven't lived there for a really long time. I lived so in as the New Englander. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you said that you lived in Hawaii, I'm like, you really kind of got more of that Hawaiian vibe than you do like a Chicago vibe. Yeah. Well, I lived in Hawaii for 11 years before I moved to Texas. So. Right before I moved here, so you definitely have more like the laid back Aloha vibe. Yeah, there's there's definitely a reason I don't live in or around Chicago anymore. So, yeah. So so sports teams are you Chicago or are you? Uh... Oh, we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually an Eagles fan, man. Believe right. it or not. Let's circle back to number nine. <laughs> did, did you take any uh, any notes or tidbits on number nine there, John Boy? I I think we talked about that Waterloo number nine enough in the sense that I agree with what Tony said. I did get a lot of lavender and that ginger and and I wasn't understanding it until he said it, but I definitely did get the orange and and I know I got the assist from Tony on that, but I would agree with him that there was orange there uh, at the end. The the biggest takeaway I got from it was just how much of a sugar rush there was on the front end. You know, you think of a dry gin, you expect it mm-hmm. just, you know, dry, somewhat parching, and then, you know, a little bit of linger of the botanicals. But to me, the first, the whole front end was just, the whole front of my mouth was just, you know, concentrated a sugary feeling, and then it just kind of eased you into the botanicals that were behind it. Literally almost, I mean, maybe like some type of, you know, candy, I don't know, uh, a, a taffy or something, but... Mm-hmm. Something where you, you, you're just chewing, you know, you're chewing just straight sugars, you know, like a little kid, and you shouldn't mm-hmm. be. And then that flavor comes in behind it, but none of them are off putting, and especially to be called a dry gin. Yeah. It, it wasn't drying. <laughs> um, I, I literally put in parentheses, should be called very mild gin. <laughs> very mild gin, yeah. Because, I mean, that's an, inter- it's an interesting uh, feedback, man. I've never heard it described like that, but um, it, I mean, definitely positive notes. I, I, I would not disagree with you. And especially out of a Glen Karen, you know, like you said, nothing's going to be more concentrated on a profile, especially right. for, yeah. you know, something of this type of distillate. Well, I changed my mind. <laughs> this antique gin, I like better than Waterloo <laughs> number nine. Yeah. And it, I get a lot more ginger than lavender on that antique gin, and I could just be full of shit. You never know, but... So the uniqueness of the the antique gin, man, is um, essentially what we do is we take the Waterloo Number Nine, and we take it straight off the still, and we put it in a first use fresh American oak barrel. So 
you know, the barrel doesn't have any, it's not a bourbon barrel, it's not a rum barrel, it's not anything. It's first use, fresh off the truck from the cooperage. Um, Do you char it at all? Char number three. Uh, the same exact barrels that we get in for the Ghost Hill bourbon, we use for the gin as well. So um, it makes for a really interesting product. And the majority of people that are out there doing aged gins are doing them in used barrels. Um, so you're picking up flavors from whatever was in the barrel before. And that's just not something we wanted to do. From the beginning, we wanted to make sure it was just gin and oak. That's, uh, yeah, you definitely get some kind of, uh, I kind of get, you know, you get all the same kind of characteristics of the number nine, but you kind of add some of those, like, I call them like Christmas spices, you know, you're getting some of those vanillins and nutmegs and stuff like that coming through as well. A lot of pronounced flavors for sure. And it's kind of funny because... In some ways, it kicks me a little too much, and then sometimes I like it. <laughs> Which way am I going on this one, you know? Well, no, I mean, I definitely get the lavender, I think, is a little bit muted in the antique, but the ginger and the other botanicals are kind of played up, the the fruity orange. And, and so I almost think, like, you take what the biggest thing that you got in the beginning of the number nine and turn that down and then turn up the mid palette to the finish that i i think they're kind of a yin and yang to each other mm -hmm. exactly man yeah couldn't have described it better myself see that somebody thinks i'm smart zeke <laughs> no i was talking about what I, I was talking about what zeke said oh <laughs> problem, problem. <laughs> way to go john I, I knew i knew where this was going <laughs> The little kid just had the big smile. And, oh, <laughs> womp, womp. I set myself up for that yeah, one big time. Way to go. And you said I wasn't a good t-ball coach. <laughs> That'd be volleyball, more like a you know, throw yeah. the spike, the lob. I do like the yin and yang comment, though, man. That's, yeah. I'm surprised I've never used that, and I might steal it, just so you know. Feel free. Yeah. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so, man, there is so much on the table. We went through a whole bunch of stuff. There is one more gin I think we have to go through. There is the, we... the Waterloo Old Yopon. Yopon, Yapon. Yopon. Yopon, okay. Yeah, so the, the quickest thing about the, the old Yopon, man, I'm, uh, is it's an old-time style gin. So just back-sweetened with some uh, local wildflower honey that we get right from near the distillery. The cool thing about that is we use uh, Yopon is a is a member of the Holly family, and we source that very locally in a town called Bastrop, right outside of Austin. Um, it grows like crazy, and people want it off their property. So there's a a company we use called uh, Lost Pines Yopon, and they go out and they forage it off of people's product property, and they they dry it out. It's it's kind of like a tea product, and uh, we use it to make a gin. So. No, that's crazy. It, it's almost the mid palate on it just has something funky like it's floral and funky and honey and but when you said tea it's almost like a, a tea in the mid palate yeah it's not in the very beginning it's <clears> not <throat> the end but right in the middle i thought it was definitely nose wise smelled more gin and you know obviously not knowing about the honey until you just mentioned it but it makes perfect sense because uh, right on the palate you get a little flash of sugars and then the gin really seemed to come in much stronger than with the number nine. And the biggest note I had was it just got really viscous. And that's when you said mm -hmm. honey, like, okay, well, now I know what, what's going on here in the reaction is it, it, basically I would say gin and a, a honey style base. And, and that viscosity of it just amplifies the profile so much more. 
I think if you're any gin fan, that's going to be more ideal and probably better in cocktails. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, not being a, a textbook gin fan, it wasn't my favorite. But again, I could see where using it in that realm, just because it just ramped up so much in the mid palate and had such a thickness to it for any you know, clear spirit to me. I thought that was pretty unique. Right. Yeah. It, what what I really like about that old Yopon Gin man is, uh, like I said, I came from a you know my background in the spirits world is bartending, and it's not very often that bartenders get something new, right? Yeah. Like there's very very rarely does something new with a completely new flavor profile come along, and that was what intrigued me the most when um, when we developed the old Yopon Gin was the fact that like I can go give that to a bartender and be like go. It's crazy the versatility of it. You can use it, you know, as the primary ingredient in a cocktail. You can use it as a modifier. Um, I've made some like crazy like margarita concoctions using. Oh, and even at ninety proof, the way it just kind of hangs <clears throat> and it has that extra heaviness to it. Right. I can imagine it gives you much more options in, in that space. Yeah, it's definitely a versatile product, man. And um, when bartenders get their hands on it and and start playing around with it, it's kind of crazy to watch their their eyes light up and they're like, "Wow, something new." Yeah, you know, it's, so. it's it's definitely you know noticeable. Like, all right, now Glenn <clears throat> probably going to throw some people off. I'm like, well, what is this? Mm-hmm. But you know, again, that other side of things where you're doing cocktails and, and mm-hmm. complementing other flavors, uh, I could see that one being the I guess flagship gin, possibly yeah. quote unquote. Yeah, and we're we're super excited to have that to offer in, in our uh, gin portfolio and our gin lineup. So, and, and granted, this is a, a technically a bourbon show, but I mean. Admittedly, Im- impressed by the gins all around. I even wonder uh, what, what's the balance on on gin going out the door to a bourbon and rye. Right now, man, it would probably be slightly sixty forty to gin, um, uh, and that's that's mainly because of the Waterloo Number Nine. Is you know it's it's heavy in the bar programs, so um, that's that's probably the main reason that there's a little bit of a skew under the gin side. But they're pretty neck and neck. Well, we go back and forth, Zeke. We don't yeah. just do bourbon. <clears throat> we we dabble all the time. We dabble all the time. But what all this stuff on the table? What's next? What do you think? You know, there are some things that that we did have that were experimental, and I know just in the the sense of time, I do want to mention that there is a red, white, and blue that is a one year old bourbon. And we don't need to go into this and pour it. We already had it. Tell us a little bit about this one. Yeah, so this was um, some one of the things coming down the pipe is um, kind of our heirloom grain series. I keep mex- mentioning James Brown. Uh, <laughs> get on up. Uh, but <clears throat> I think I'm just going to keep mentioning him now because we got some cool sound bites for it. But uh, So this one was uh, hoppy blue corn, soft red winter wheat. And uh, number two row malt, malted barley. So it was a really unique product that we, you know, like I say, it was all heirloom grain. So all, you know, um, stuff that, that James brought to us and was like this, you know, use this in some whiskey. And and uh, our um, head of product development, Phil Phil Dormont, he, he ran with it and did a, it's a pretty small batch of this. So this, this is probably not going to go to market right now, but this is something that we made do in full production eventually and have you know a red white and blue ghost ale bourbon so uh, i will tell you for one years old and i know this is experimental and and there's always a something to be said when you let us have some of that because 
They're like, listen, this is experimental. <laughs> don't go on and say it's super young. And don't go on. I mean, not like we had any pretense with each other, but there's almost an understanding. It's like, this is something that you guys are working on. It's not the finished product. We're getting a sneak preview of what it could be. But in one year, I am not blowing smoke, guys. I'm not bullshitting. There is no... You you gave that to me, and I said, there is no freaking way this is one year old. I said, mm-hmm. how old is this? I still don't believe it's one, Zeke. It is the smoothest and easiest to drink. I would expect a one-year-old whiskey to be harsh and just some way, shape, or form kind of tear up my throat mm-hmm. with those, like tiny little razor blade feeling like it was a, a little bit rough on your throat but there is nothing about that that made me feel like it was young at all yeah no i mean where that goes uh definitely keep, keep us in touch if anybody <laughs> yeah. tested it a, a you know six month ish interval we're more than happy to send back a feedback card. <laughs> we won't I'll even include, tell our listeners about it we'll just tell you guys we'll include you know sure. emails addresses for future mailings etc <laughs> but you know didn't it to a degree, it does make sense, especially with the near one talks about the temp and the climate, et cetera. In Texas, th- there's going to be different nuances that folks have to navigate and figure out. And then, you know, especially if it's the step required of using better grains, they've got to be able to stand up and be stronger to deal with, deal with harsher conditions. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, at least paper, when you kind of put it all together, it does make really good sense in the, we took a little extra time, probably a little extra money. Mm-hmm. Put in, you know, not your standard run-of-the-mill grain, something that's got a little more backbone to it. Right. And, you know, we're going to make sure we age it correctly and then also taste it throughout the process. And when it's ready, it comes out. I mean, exactly. Yeah. this all kind of lines up in the, you know, synergy that well. Yeah. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, man, I think this was kind of the fan favorite out of everybody that was in the house tonight tasting out of our products here that... I, I feel like this was the fan favorite. Oh yeah, no, yeah. no, no one had a negative word to say at no, all. And that, not at all. That's why we we asked you know, before we went on air, like, all right, so is this something that's really going to happen? Because I don't want <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, and then it, it maybe not happen, or like, well, we've got a few barrels of the juice that might show up here and there, but not everyone's ever going to yeah. see this. Well, we could just say it's good to know that they are working on other stuff there, and I think that's the moral of the story is that. They're not just sitting on their laurels. They're not just sitting on the ghost hill. They're not just sitting on the red-handed. They're not just sitting on the gin. They are trying new stuff all the time. There's a port finish. We all agreed not to talk about that because Zeke and I are the worst people to talk to (laughs) about a wine finish. It's just not our jam. There is um, one that was, it was barrels that were, that were, were made it had bourbon in it, then it got sent to a brewery, and then it, it had beer finished in it, then it got sent back to you guys, and then you guys finished with So there's stuff, moral of the story, there's so much stuff that is going on. Yeah, man. Uh, we're, we're big with uh, innovation, experimentation. Um, if, you, if you notice, there's a, there's a little logo. It's a little kanji logo on the, bar- on the bottles um, that you can see. It, it's... it's uh, it's a little Japanese. It might be covered up by those labels on that bottle, but uh, it's a little Japanese uh, symbol, and it, and it and it's called Hanzoku. <clears throat> and Hanzoku is basically um, it's it's the Japanese phrase for rebelling 
uh, but rebelling from a place of knowledge and science and, you know, basically not just rebelling with, without a cause, it's rebelling because, you know, the norm's not working. And so we, you're a rebel with a cause. We're a rebel with a cause, man. And, and we have the knowledge and experimentation and innovation to back it up, man. And that's, that's just kind of, it's, it's a little thing that we, we threw on the bottles and, and it's something that Daniel kind of preaches to us and that we, everyone at Treatio kind of has that, man. And it's, it's, it's an, it's an amazing atmosphere to, to work for a company like that because it's, 2 a.m. I wake up and I'm like, oh man, I got this crazy idea, and like <laughs> half the time it's because I just left the bar and I'm, you know. But I'll text Daniel and be like, hey, this is a badass idea, man. Let's, and you know, there's never a time where it's like that's a dumb idea. It's like, well, let's try it, you know, or let's let's research it, let's find out, like, you know, and it's and that's that's kind of just the atmosphere, man. It's like we're we're all in a, we're, we all like to claim to be innovators. We all, but we all are just like passionate people about making really great whiskey making really great gin um on our property we have like i said we have a 28 acre property we have a full service restaurant and that even like transcends all the way down to like you know everybody that works in the service side of the house like the restaurant we make amazing barbecue and like it's just it's a great family to work for man well i know where i will be going next time i'm in austin but where can the folks find you are you on instagram twitter facebook all that good stuff yeah, so on uh, on Facebook and Instagram, we have uh, both uh, Treaty Oak, the whiskey and ranch is kind of its own thing, and then we also have the Waterloo Gin. So um, you can look us up on Facebook at Treaty Oak, Instagram at Treaty Oak, and then also on Facebook at Waterloo Gin, and on Instagram at Waterloo Gin. So perfect. Well, Tony, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. We'd we'd love to have you come in again see what's coming on down the line but this has been an amazing night thank you so much for for spending some time yeah thank you guys and uh shout out to my man pj here for driving me around today and i thought he was making us pizza but apparently that didn't happen it did not happen but zeke (laughs) the folks can find us on facebook at dad's drinking bourbon instagram at dad's drinking bourbon twitter at bourbon dads they can join our facebook group answer a couple questions come in it is three thousand strong and growing just like flintstones vitamins it's a great place a lot of people talking a lot of good things going on in there zeke they can also find us on their favorite podcast provider did you know that and i did they could leave us an open and honest review just like we are open and honest about all the whiskey that we try or gin or tequila or vodka or whatever the hell we're having please leave us an open and honest review but leave us a review because it helps people find us it actually bumps you up in the search results, so go ahead and do that. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Good old Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Ciao. Cheers. Cheers.